If you have your Bibles, join us um, in Genesis chapter 1. We're back in Genesis chapter 1. Last week we began a series called Foundations. It's a five-week series, and we're just kind of going through some of the, the overview of Scripture and some of the major themes that the Bible teaches us. And this week we're talking about creation. Creation. Some of you have heard me say this. I have to admit it. Um, I am not good at building things. I'm not great with my hands and, and making things that work or things that don't work, work. Um, when, when my wife and I were in missions, we had uh, some schooling that was, was to pre- supposed to prepare us for being and living in, in like a rugged missionary life out in the, in the jungles. And so we had to take classes and we had to do practical things to help prepare us for that. And one of the things that we had to do was we had to build a makeshift house because the mission organization we were with, a lot of times the families would move out to the, to the tribal areas and um, the husbands would have, to, would have to actually build a home out there to get ready for their family. And so they taught us some of the basics of construction and we had to build this, this temporary shelter to live in for a few weeks. Now, I wanted to do my very best for my bride. Um, I wanted to make this thing as comfortable as possible because we were going to be up in the, on the hill out in the woods for several weeks living in this thing. And I wanted to, I wanted to make it a, a place of comfort as much as possible. She was expecting our first child. And um, I, I knew that there was probably potential disaster trying to take a pregnant woman on, a, on a, essentially a month-long camping trip. But it was required to finish the course. And so we went up there. And in this house, I tell you, it was something else. Um, they, they, they had us build it. It was going to be kind of stick built with, uh, with basically we we're going to just use um, plastic tarps uh, to, to build the, the walls and the roof and everything like that. And um, man, some of these guys up there, you know, they just, I think they just did stuff to just shame the guys like us. Because, I mean... They might, the door to our, the door to our little hut was, I, I cut a plastic, a sheet of visqueen and stapled it to the door frame. And I thought I was clever and I tied a piece of wood to the bottom to give it a little weight so the wind didn't just blow it in. That was my door. These guys are building actual doors, leveling them out with hinges and stuff. I'm like, we're only up here a couple of weeks, guys. We've got to tear this thing down and we're, we're finished. Just relax. Well, that thing barely made it through the several weeks. It was just so shabby and, and the bed that I made her was basically just a platform about three inches off the ground so that the spiders had to work to climb into our sleeping bags. Um, I've never been good at building and creating things. Some of you guys are, but there is no one on this earth that can create like God himself. God is the creator, the original, the one that gave us all the stuff that we have to work with that we make uh, from what he originated. He began it all. And so as we think about the, the creation this is a major theme of the Bible because it, it really sets the stage for what's going to happen throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture. And we'll uh, take some time to explore that and understand why this morning. So if you have your notes and you want to fill them out, uh, the first thought that, uh, from this, this first verse of Scripture is the source of creation. The source of creation. You may imagine what I'm going to say. The word says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
God is the creator. He is the originator of the universe. He is the one that spoke it into being. This verse tells us that God brought about the universe and everything in it. In the beginning, God created. Those words are huge. And they are of vast theological importance. Because if we do away with this verse... If we buy into evolution that says that we're all here by a random act and essentially accidents, it completely undermines the Word of God. Now, my, my, my goal this morning and, the, and the, the point of this message is not to then get in debates about the exact way that God did this, how long it took him to do this. I'm not here to debate the age of the earth and that thing, that sort of thing this morning. That's not the purpose of this message. Those debates are important, but the primary issue here that all Christians need to agree on is that in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. It all begins with him. If the Genesis account is not true, how can we trust the rest of this book? If there is no God creating the universe, listen to this, if there is no God creating the universe, then there is no Jesus dying for our sins. Creation, in the beginning God created, is of vast theological importance. I also want to make clear here that God did not make us because somehow he was missing something, that God was somehow not complete or he was insufficient in and of himself to experience joy in completeness. So he had to make us so that he really could be fulfilled and find purpose. We need to be careful about going on, on down that trail. God created us for his glory, not because he needed us. So that is the source of creation. In the beginning, God Secondly, we have the means of creation. And we see that in verse 3. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. What did God use to create the universe? In this verse, light. His spoken word. And God said. (laughs) And it was. God spoke. And the world was formed. God created the world. Theologians use the Latin phrase ex nihilo, from nothing. He needed no materials with which to construct the universe. Like I said, I I think I was pretty proud of my little shabby house. I mean, I worked a lot of time on that. it, It actually stood. It made it through the few weeks that we had to live up there. But I, I still needed materials. I needed a lot of help, a lot of instruction. I needed other people's hands and guidance. God needed nothing. He is the one that fashioned this world in and of himself. One writer says, The only tool was his word, the revelation of his will. And God said, His speech, that is all. In creating everything through his word, God's thought shaped itself exactly to the least cell in Adam. The vast universe was shaped by his thought and will, as was each of the trillions of cells in our body. There is such intimacy and immediacy in his knowledge, in the willing of creation, 
that we might say he knows each aspect of creation by experience. I don't know if any of you are fans of the Chronicles of Narnia books, but when our older boys were younger, I I read those to them. And um, in the... um, in the, in the very first book, it's actually the last book he read, wrote, but the, the very first in the order of chronology. Um, in that story, um, two little children are transported to Narnia, and they actually get to see the creation of Narnia. And, and the, the lion, Aslan, is, is forming things right before their eyes. In, C, in C.S. Lewis's mind, he pictured it as a song. Aslan's mouth is wide open in song, and as he sings, the color green begins to form around his feet and spreads out in a pool. Then flowers and heather appear on the hillside and move out before him. As the tempo of the music picks up, showers of birds fly out of a tree, and butterflies begin to flit about. Then comes great celebration as the song breaks into even wilder song. Some of you may have read that, and some of you may have tried to imagine what it would have been like to bend a fly on the wall even though there weren't any walls yet, as God was speaking the world into existence. I wonder how it happened. I wonder if it sounded like music. I'm sure it would have been terrifying and and awe-inspiring to be able to sit back and hear the spoken word of God as he created the universe from nothing. That is what our God did. I want to give a little footnote here because there's a, a... some theology that's come out of this that I think is, is very uh, unbiblical, and I, and I hear it more and more today, and I just want to speak to it because I, I don't think it's rooted in Scripture. Um, I, got, I have a couple quotes here, some of them may be familiar to you, that I, I don't agree with biblically. Um, uh, Joel Olstein has said, If you're struggling financially, remind yourself repeatedly, I am the head and I am not the tail. I will lend and I will not borrow. Everything I touch will prosper and succeed. Something supernatural happens when you speak those words out loud. Creflo Dollar has said the same creative power that God possesses has been invested in us. And as spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. I want to say that that is not scriptural. That is not biblical. But that teaching is out there quite a bit, and I want us to be mindful of that. One writer says, in the Bible, God speaks and things are created. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks and miracles happen. God speaks and man is blessed when he believes what God says. God is the speaker, man is the hearer and the receiver. God is the creator, man is the created being. Now that's biblical. And we need to make sure that we don't start putting ourselves in the place of God. God is the one that speaks things into existence. God has the power to create. And we are the created being. And we need to be careful we don't try to transfer that power to ourselves because he's never given it to us. God spoke all this to an existence. What kind of power, what kind of amazing goodness and greatness is found in our God? Thirdly, we see the perfection of creation. We see the perfection of creation. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, Genesis 1.31 says. It was very good. God looked back, and you know Genesis 1 gives the account of God creating everything from the very first Adam to the very first Adam. And, 
and we see all of it unveiled in chapter 1. And he steps back, he looks at it, and he says, Now this, all this, this is very good. There were no deficiencies in it. There were no flaws. There was nothing made in there that was shabby or, or, or second rate. It's important to understand that God did not create sin. God did not put evil or wickedness into his creation. He could step back as a holy God and say, this is all very, very good. God creates everything excellently. Some of us know what it's like to cobble things together, to do kind of a half-hearted job when you're making something or trying to to fix something. Um, Duct tape, however useful and resourceful it may be, is usually involved in the cobbling process. Listen, God didn't make anything in this world with duct tape. I hate to admit that, guys. God didn't do anything second rate. And what that also means then is that when you look in the mirror, you are looking at someone who has been formed by a loving and perfect God. God did not make anything second rate, and that includes you and me. God created, and he said, behold, this is very good. You are not an afterthought or a side project. You are the direct result of God's thought-out creative process. You are his creation, beloved by the creator. I want us to use the remaining time, though, to look at what are some of the implications of this. How, how does this impact me? Because many of us have heard these stories from when we were little. We, we know the story of creation. Maybe you can even remember, maybe you've memorized what each day of what happened on each day of creation. Maybe you've even got that down. You've got, you could draw a picture of it. Uh, you've, got it you've got it down pat. But there are some important implications that come from this that I think impact us where we're at. First of all, as we think about this, we're reminded that creation reveals God. Creation reveals God. See, creation, this biblical account of creation in Genesis is not just a story, but it's a revelation of God and who he is. It tells us a number of things about God. It tells us that God is Trinity. Uh, if you notice in Genesis one twenty six, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who is the us and our? It is God, three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all involved in the process of creation. It reveals to us a God who is eternal, who has always been. Now these concepts start to boggle the mind a little bit. If I begin to think about a God who created time, So he exists outside of time. He existed before everything that was made. He existed for all eternity. It is mind-boggling to try to conceptualize that because we've got no frame of reference for it. It reveals to us a God who is living, a God who is not just uh, showing up at one point in history, a God who uh, is asleep at the wheel, a God who is distant from his creation. No, 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 it doesn't tell us any of those things. But what it tells us is we have a God who is living. He is active. He is involved in his creation. No one, it tells us that no one, no one manipulated God. No one put him up to creation. He did it of his own free will. 
When Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, in verses 24 and 25, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath in everything. Do you realize that when God decided to create the world, there was no, he didn't do it because it was on his honey-do list? Like, guys, some of the projects that we do, we're like, oh, this is so dumb, it's a waste of my time. But if she asks me one more time, I think I'm going to go out of my mind, so I'm just going to do it and get it done with, and I don't have to hear any more about it. Some of us do projects out of that motivation there. But God, he was totally independent of his creation. There was nobody putting God up to this. You're here today because God wants you here. You have breath today because God wants you to have breath. And God cares about you. It tells us that we have a a personal God. We talked about that last week. A God who is interested and involved in his creation. It tells us about a God who is powerful. I mean, speaking things into existence. I was pretty excited when the clapper came out. You remember that? (laughs) Felt like I could, had some power there. But I mean, to, to speak and everything is just there, that's power. It tells us about a God who is holy. It tells us about a God who is a sovereign ruler over all. Creation reveals our God to us. Secondly, creation communicates purpose. Creation communicates purpose. Most of us, I say most of us, when we set out to build something, we have a reason for building it. We have a design, a a plan, a purpose. Even if it's just a hobby, even if we just enjoy tinkering around, there's purpose there. My uh, two-year-old has these big heavy-duty blocks that he likes to build towers with. Now, I discovered early on with our first child that if I sit down as a parent and my purpose is to construct an elaborate castle a beautiful tower, or try to see if I can make it all the way up to the ceiling, I'm not going anywhere. I learned early on that a two-year-old's favorite thing to do with blocks is to smash them. At least two-year-old boy. I don't have any girls. Two-year-old boy's favorite thing to do with towers is to destroy them. <laughs> and, and so my purpose now, after some experience, when I sit down to build blocks, is for the purpose of playing. It's relationship. It's fun. It's not to try to get a cool tower, because I know that's not going to last. Most of us, when we set to build something, have some kind of purpose in mind. God is no different. He created us. He created this universe with purpose. And it all sings to his majesty. The plan is for God to be glorified, even in the, the minute and most insig- seemingly insignificant things that we do on a daily basis. Creation communicates purpose. Knowing that we are here, not because of some accident that that was born out of a evolutionary process, but because that we were conceived in the mind of a loving, all-powerful creator makes all the difference in our world. When you walk out of here today, God has purpose in your life. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to come up with it. I, I don't understand how atheists go through life not with any purpose other than that which they come up with in in their own hearts, in their own minds. They have to create purpose, and to assign any value to it is only arbitrary. 
But we have purpose because God has said we have purpose. We have meaning. Life is significant because it was given to us by a purpose-giving God. I know Rick Warren, a number of years ago, had his best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life. And a lot of people loved it. Some people didn't like it. Whatever your opinion of it, though, the, the, the basic idea behind it is true, that, that God has purpose for you. And you don't have to go to an astrologer or read a crystal ball to try to figure out what that is. You just go to God's Word. And He'll tell you what He wants you to be doing, what, what you're here for, and how you can serve Him to His glory. Thirdly, creation ignites worship. Creation ignites worship. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, and you slow down for just a minute and look around at what God has created, you can't help but worship. You can't help it. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26, God says, To whom will you compare me that, you, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Just look up into the heavens on a starry night. The other night, we had gone somewhere and it was dark when we got back and it was a clear night. And Owen looked up in the sky and he said, what's that? Apparently, he's understood that in December through February, you don't see those very often either here in Michigan. But he looked up and said, what's that? And I said, That's, those are stars. And he said, Wow. And I said, look at them all. They're, they spread from as far as we can see that way to as far as we can see that way. God has laid them out. You can't help but look around at God's creation and be filled with wonder if you take time to look. Whether you're looking at, a, at the mountains. I love to go driving in the, in the mountains. It doesn't matter where, whether it's down in the mountains of Kentucky or out to Colorado or somewhere else. I love the mountains. I, I just feel like when I'm, when I'm in the mountains, I, I'm... I'm in a, in a place where I feel really small, and I'm reminded of how big God is. Maybe it's out even in the deer blind. Probably not many of us saw this in our deer blind this year, but <laughs> being out in nature and seeing the wildlife and God's creation roaming around. Maybe having the chance to go to some, some place you've never been before and beholding a sight, something that, that's not native to Michigan, something that you're, you're not used to seeing. Maybe it's the ocean wildlife and all of the crazy things that God has formed down there that just cause us to step back and say, wow, this is a God who is amazing and powerful. Maybe it's getting to see the things that our telescopes and the photography that exists bring us from outer space. This is the, these are called the pillars of creation. This is a rose that's formed out of galaxies. And this is a picture of the Sombrero Galaxy. We can look at these things and sometimes maybe we get a little bit used to them, but we shouldn't. Step back and be amazed. Creation should ignite worship. It should stir up in our hearts this feeling that we are small and God is big and that the glory belongs to Him and not me. Creation also reminds us who's in charge. Creation reminds us who's in charge. Sometimes 
As a parent, you have to periodically uh, remind your children that you're in charge. When they might get a little lippy or mouthy, you have to just gently encourage them to remember that you're the parent, <laughs> they are the child, and that's the way it is. <laughs> Sometimes we get a little bit arrogant as believers. We tell God what he's supposed to do. We begin to think that we know better than God and we have our plans and our ideas, and if God would just get up to speed with them, everything would be all right. When we, when we look at the account in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. He is the one who made us. He is the authority figure here. He is in charge. That means when God speaks, we need to listen. We need to have our hearts tuned in. Finally, creation points us to God's love. Creation points us to God's love. God's involvement and concern for his creation's needs right from the start speaks to his great loving kindness. He could have put Adam and Eve into a barren wasteland, but he put them in the, in the garden, the Garden of Eden the most beautiful place that they could have imagined. When God created Adam, the very first time that he used the phrase, not good, was when he saw that Adam was alone and he needed a companion. And out of God's great love, he created a companion for Adam. He created Eve. And on and on and on, not only through the account of creation, but even after the fall and, and God's coming to mankind and then his interaction choosing Abraham to, uh, through whom to create a great nation, his interaction with Israel, all throughout God's interaction with his creation, we see love, 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 undeserved grace. People who hadn't done anything to merit it. You, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, my, my, um, when I was a kid, my parents gave us an allowance. Now, that allowance, it was, it was not necessarily a, a, an act of their grace. They didn't have to as parents, but it was a, it was a payment, a reward for, for doing the chores that were assigned to us. It was what we got for our work. If you have a job or have ever had a job, that's what, well, you get paid because you've done something. And in theory, you've earned those wages. God's love and grace are not like that, though. There's nothing that we have done to merit them. God, God does not look at us at the end of the week and say, well, Jeremiah, you've been a pretty good boy this week, so you get X amount units of my love. Uh, you, on the other hand, you've been pretty naughty, so I'm going to withhold. In fact, we're going to have a little, uh, a little flu for you uh, just to get back at you for your... I mean, God doesn't work like that. God is good and loving and gracious. And I know he allows things into our life that cause us to scratch our mind or scratch our head and say, what is going on here? But we have to understand that even in those times, God is loving and kind and gracious in his ways with us. Even in the times of hurt and the times of doubt and in questioning, God has not withdrawn his grace from us. And he tells us here, we see it all throughout creation. 
that God loves us. And I just want you to hear that this morning. That God loves you today. That God sent Jesus Christ to die for your salvation. That's why we celebrated communion. That's why we come together at all because of Jesus Christ and the life that he offers. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I I pray today would be that day that you do it. And And if you're doubting right now that God loves you, that God is good, that God cares about what you're facing, turn to his creation. Turn to Genesis and just be mindful. Be reminded once again that God formed everything you see out of love, out of a spirit of grace. Let's pray. God, this morning, this account of creation reminds us of some very important truths about you. That you are a God who knows what we face because you're the one who made us. You're the one who formed us. You know us inside and out better than we even know ourselves. God, I thank you for giving us breath, giving us life. But more importantly, I thank you for giving us eternal life and that it's free and available to anyone who simply asks, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, please be at work in our hearts and meet us where we're at. May we not move away from this important theological truth that you are the creator, that you are the one who is over all. May we submit to you as our Lord, Savior, and creator. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.